foremost, uh, we pray that um, we, we actually know that you're here because where there's more than two, you're here. You say that. So um, we're glad to be here. We're glad to have Bo to take us through um, your word this morning. And uh, we love you with all your, our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Drop the mic. Oh. Good morning. Oh, well. <laughs> We were just talking earlier. If it weren't for Bo Jackson, my name would have no coolness. Bo Jackson's kind of cool. You you were the kid in my you you were the kid in my elementary class that made things hard. <laughs> So, I actually, I just want to start off with my own prayer, too. Um, uh, Father, I just want to thank you for this opportunity to, to carry your word forward. I pray that your words come out, not mine. I pray that you will be with us. Let your message be heard. Uh, God, your Bible speaks to us each differently depending on where we're at in our lives. I just pray that you come through today and that you will bless this message and bless these men. In your name, amen. All right, so Ecclesiastes 7. Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart. God has already approved what you do. So as I look this up, I think Pastor Jack Abilene said it well. Have a blast while you last. So that's my point one. (laughs) This life is short, and this is written by Solomon, who's saying... There's no guarantee what you're doing. He's writing to people who are non-believers as well as... I believe he's writing to believers because he mentions God a lot in there. But as I was listening, I heard so many pastors saying, he's writing to an ungodly world. I'm like, yeah, but God's right there in that sentence. So I was conflicted there. But as uh, but I get the message because when you read this verse, it's hard. It's talking about your toils. It's going to come up in a moment. It's talking about how short life is and that when you die, it's over. So I'm like, man, this is just rough stuff. But the point being, enjoy it while you last. So God has a plan for you to have joy. In John 15, 11, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So God has a plan for us to have joy. And joy is different than happiness. Happiness, I heard, is a pursuit of things. You want a bigger car in a pursuit of happiness. You want a bigger house in pursuit of happiness. You want more But getting those things doesn't provide you the happiness. Getting those things gives you something else that you're still wanting more about or maybe that bigger bill that came with it. We see so many rich people or people who seem to have it all who are unhappy. Joy is living with God's, the knowledge that you're living with God. You're abiding in Him. That's what brings you joy. And we can all relate to this. When we feel like we've done something where we're in line with God, we feel good. We feel like we're pumped up. I mean, that's when our hearts are content, is when we're living with God. When we get something big, yeah, well, there's an there's a, a, a adrenaline rush with that. There, there's a, a happiness, but it doesn't last. The joy that God gives us lasts. In verse 8, it says, Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. What he's saying, white is what they did when they dressed up for celebration. To me, I'm, I'm hearing this, I'm, I'm reading, live life in celebration, enjoy, dress up. 
the oil, have the things you need to be anointed. So it just tells me, you know, as we did this, live with celebration and enjoy the things you have. Nine, this is where it got, got really personal with me. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of your meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All these meaningless days, this is a lot in life. This is your lot in life and your toilsome labor under the sun. So this again, there's that toilsome, it's, it's a short life. You know, we're going to work hard, and that, that's part of the curse. As soon as God cursed Adam for eating the apple, he said, your labors are going to be hard. You're going to toil. To produce fruit, you're going to work. So we, we, we already know life is hard. We live in a broken world. We live in a place with sin. And so it's tough. But he's saying right here, enjoy life with your wife. God, in uh, Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. I go to this verse for a specific reason. The word helper here, the Hebrew word is azir. And it's a powerful word. It's meant... It's in the context of vital importance of powerful act of rescue and support. That's a great thing for a wife. But in the old, the old Testament, that context of that word is only used four times. For your wife, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When I heard that, that kind of made me appreciate my wife at a whole new level. I'm like, God, you're, you're putting her up at a high, high place. And he's doing that for a reason. He has given you a helper to support you all your days. Someone who can rebuke you when you're wrong. Who can encourage you when you're low. Someone who can pick you up. Someone who's there to constantly encourage you. That's what your wife is. And to me, the reason this gets personal, my story is, I've been married for 23 years, one time, and I'm blessed that that is the case. My wife came through a divorce. When I met her, she had an 18-year-old son. Um, and then I didn't think I even liked kids at the time. I just found out later. I just don't like whining. I love kids, and I'm a great kid advocate. <laughs> so part of my story is I've adopted five of my six kids. And I, that's just where God has placed me. He, he's put that on my heart. Thankfully, I've learned that that's the heart of the Holy Spirit. God adopted all of us. So I hear so many men say, oh, I don't think I could adopt. I don't think that's going to be my story. It's like, if you got the Holy Spirit in you, just, just keep wrestling with it. Because that's God's spirit. He's got a heart of adoption. But the part where your wife, enjoy your wife with your wife. I've seen too many men who come to me and they, they're sitting there and they're telling me their problems and then they, they will sit here and they, they contemplate divorce. I tell you, that's where our problems start here. They started with the apple, but they continue through this, this idea that, you know, if I can just get out of this relationship, it'll be over. I'll get through these problems. No, you don't understand how many problems are going to come as soon as that divorce occurs. You're not going to be raising your kids with them anymore. Somebody else is going to be raising your kids, and she's not going to be raising them with your values in mind. You guys are now split. Your, 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 your commonality has divided. And that's where most of our societal problems, I believe, come from, is now fatherlessness. If more fathers did their jobs and fought for their wives and were present with their children, we would have a lot more success in this world, a lot more joy, and a lot less bitterness. But unfortunately, we live in a broken world, and we are subject to brokenness. Um, 
uh, sometimes I tell the story and people think of that, oh, you're so good. I am a broken, foolish person. And, and I prove it regularly. My wife will be glad to tell you about how broken I am. And, and if you've sat at a table with me, I'll tell you how broken I am. Because I've learned to take the mask off. I've learned that I always thought that when I came up here and I shared, I would be ashamed of myself. I, I have shame. But I, I share how broken I am so I can remove that foothold from Satan. I don't allow him to hold that over me. And when I share, it allows other people in the table to share too. And I'm like, man, this is good stuff. So I have never been insulted or ostracized or even made to feel bad for sharing how broken I am. And I am a broken, foolish person. The biggest part that kills me is, why do I repeat the same sins over and over and over, knowing they don't produce fruit? Yet, that's my story. And I think many of you can probably relate to that. Um, how are we doing on time? Where's my timekeeper? <laughs> okay. No. So, I, I want to tell you, you know, I stepped up as a father in a lot of people's lives, in five people's lives, and there's a lot of foster kids that I've mentored, and I tell you, one of my kids went south, and, and this kid, he was in a, uh, foster care for six years. I was his 13th home, and he had a lot of forever homes where they were going to adopt him, and they returned. There is so much damage done when fathers aren't doing their jobs. This young man, I got him at 12 years old, and I had him for six years, and I couldn't save him. I, 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 I take that. My wife thinks maybe our only job was to introduce him to God. That we did. And so from that perspective, I pray we did save him. But in this world, from a worldly sense, I didn't save him. He's hurting in this world. Um, I just learned last Thursday, he's in jail. Um, he for uh, grave aggravated assault without a firearm. I don't know any details. I don't know anything, but he's been in jail for a while. This is he's taken such a southward way. When he first walked away from us and he cut me and my wife off, it destroyed me as a father. I'm like, man, I owned up to being this man's father, and I'm not doing my job with him. He's not in my life. I can't mentor him. I can't lead him. And it destroyed me. And I had some wise people who brought me back and told me, no matter how good you think you are or how good you really are, our kids, we're not responsible for how they turn out. And they pointed me to a lot of verses that spoke to that. First one being Adam and Eve. <laughs> they got God as their father. There is no more perfection than that. And they screwed it up. And then one generation later, they're killing each other. So it's not, we can't blame ourselves for the way our kids turn out. But we can do everything we can to provide them a foundation, to provide them an insight to who God is. Because God is the only one who can fix us. God is the only one who can restore us. And God is the only one who's proven to be worthy of everything that we have and will ever have. I think I got myself sidetracked there. So in verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. And in the realm of the dead, where you are going... There is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. And this is, again, just saying, you know, after this life, there's nothing. But he's writing to those who don't have God. We understand we've got a, our time is very short. 
But when you've got an afterlife that we're looking forward to, and everyone in this room, you guys are. You're here. You understand the afterlife. You understand that God has saved us from death. He has saved us from the eternal damnation. So, and forgive me if I throw in Catholic verses. I, I, I was broken in that way before. <laughs> um, but our time here is short, but our eternity is long. So, as I read this, my, my the whole thing, I kind of started getting this idea that life is works-based. Because it says, everything you do with your hands, do it with all your might. And that's good, because God says that too. It's in 1 Corinthians 10.13. So whatever you eat, drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. You know, He's saying, work for me. And for a while, I, I used to struggle with works. Because I was confusing salvation from... The, the, the gifts of God, the joy of God, the, the blessings of God, they are different. And in James, it actually says, faith without works is dead. So we, faith is good. That's, what, that's your salvation. Your works are what gives you the meaning. So you, we've got to work. It's, uh, there's talk about treasure in heaven, mansions, things that I don't understand, things that... that, that I think it's difficult for Jesus to even describe to us. He, he, he seems sometimes frustrated with our simpleness. But there, there's, there's glory in, his, in the, the works that we do. And, and we need to be working to show our faith. So I think it's important that what we do, we do it as if we're working for God. If you're selling cars, sell cars like God's your boss. I had a great story from a guy who was frustrated because he felt like he was being taken advantage of. He was, he was doing labor to get into a school. And he was on the roof, roofing the, the, or, or laying the, the, the shingles. And he's mad because he feels the, the trade was he got paid a small amount, but he got admission into the school. And he felt that that was not a, a fair deal because he didn't really care about going to the school. And he was arguing with God. And he's like, God, why are you doing this? And, and he, in his argument, he heard God respond. God saying, well, would you do that for me if I asked you to lay the shingles? He's like, well, of course I would do it for you, God, because I love you. I would do anything you want. And he goes, then do it for me. And it was like, he just felt that switch. It's like, oh yeah, I guess I should be doing everything for you. And it changed his whole perspective. And I really like that because that's kind of what this whole message is about. We're li- we live in a broken world. Things can be hard. Things can be rough. Let's do it as if we're doing it for God. And, you know, the spiritual battle's real. Um, we got to realize Satan is, he's the deed holder of this planet. Uh, Pastor Renault at Mosaic says, this is a planet of death. The... the the idea that the you know we can escape the harm, the hurt, whatever, it's not happening. But I've learned when I'm hurting, if I look at it for a moment, I can usually identify to Satan's attacks. And all of a sudden, the the pressure of that hurt goes right away. I'm now realizing I'm, I'm worthy of being attacked by Satan. You know what that means? That means I'm on God's side. That means that, I, that I've pissed him off. And that's my third point. Don't be afraid to piss Satan off. I don't know if I told you my second point. My second point was enjoy your life, your wife. But the third one, don't be afraid to piss Satan off. Because when you do, that means you're working on God's side. God, Satan attacks you harder when God's got good plans and you're following his path. When you're doing what... You, anytime you go to a men's retreat, that weekend is great. You're built up. The moment you come off that mountain, they'll tell you, you're going to get attacked. You're going to go down the hill... And you're going to start feeling the pressures of the world. Monday's not going to feel like Sunday. But if you realize that it's a spiritual attack, 
then you, and you're wearing the armor of God, those arrows just deflect off you. I don't worry anymore when somebody makes a comment to me that I know doesn't match my character because that is not a holy comment. It is not coming from somebody who's, who's coming. They may be believers even, but they're not carrying at that moment God's spirit with them. So, yes, uh, James 1, 2 through 4. And I'm going to paraphrase it, but it says, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of any type, because it creates perseverance. And perseverance, when it comes to completeness, will provide you with, uh, I think it's just, uh, you will not lack and you will be completed. So, as we go through our trials, just enjoy them. You know, and realize that we're pissing Satan off, and we're, and we're, we're lighting God up. 